0: Our text for this morning comes from First Corinthians chapter 15. And if you'd like to follow along in the pew Bibles, they look like this one. It's on page six hundred and twenty five. And we're going to be in First Corinthians 15 verses thirty five to fifty eight. I'm going to read that for us before we jump in. But let's read that together. So First Corinthians 15, starting in verse thirty five. But some will ask, how are the dead raised with what kind of body do they come One kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown perishable? What is raised imperishable? What is sown in dishonor? It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. Just as we have been born the image of God of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray and then we're going to look at that together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and that it, uh, it it convicts and it also encourages. And we pray this morning that you would do that, that you would show us where we need convicting and that you would encourage us where we need that as well. We pray this morning that your spirit would move in this place, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. Uh, we just confess without your spirit doing that, we are hopelessly lost. So we just invite you to come and, and to have your way in this place. We pray that you would empower this time and it would be for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. I don't know if you remember, but years ago, I I was trying to find the exact date. I don't know the exact date, but it was right around 1989, 1990. The Olympics decided to let professional athletes be uh, take part in the Olympic games. And I remember being very excited about the time when the first Olympics, after they made that decision, came around. It was in 1992 and I was in high school as a huge basketball fan. And so what it meant is the NBA players got to play in the Olympics. And I was very excited because what they what they dubbed it as is the dream team, the best basketball team ever put together, arguably still the best basketball team that ever was put together, probably three or four of the best players ever on the same team. And and then the rest of them weren't bad either. They were all really, really good. And so what happened, though, is they they came and there was all this hype and all this. And if you know the story, they went into the Olympics and they beat everybody really bad and they they won the gold medal. But before all that happened, I remember, uh, I I saw this just recently. There was a documentary on the Dream Team that I just watched a few months back, and that's probably why this is coming to mind. But, uh, what happened is they had a a press conference before the Olympics started. And I I remember it's kind of the crystallization of this whole hype, and what came across with all of it is they were so sure they were going to win the gold medal. Nobody had any doubt because of how good this team was. And so one of the questions was asked, was asked to Charles Barkley. And if you know anything about Charles Barkley, he doesn't mind speaking his mind and saying exactly what he thinks. And that's kind of what he's known for. And so they said, they asked Barkley, they said, uh, Charles, what do you think of Angola? That was the team they were playing first. And he said, uh, I don't know anything about Angola, but I can tell you this, they're in trouble. And, and then the next thing he said is we're going to destroy them. And that's basically all he said. It was kind of a little bit arrogant, and a little bit. But, you know, so what we'd say it's is trash talking a little. And, and Charles Barkley was known for that. Well, the next day they played in the US won one hundred and sixteen to forty eight. And so he kind of knew what he was talking about. They won by by sixty eight points. And so you had the trash talk, but then they backed it up. And so you may say, well, what in the world does that have to do with First Corinthians 15 and, and all this? And, uh, and the reason I say it is, is, is I'm reading and you get to the end and what Paul says here and what he quotes here in verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You get Paul trash talking death at the end of First Corinthians 15. And so we have this picture of all the way through in this, this whole chapter we spent three weeks on now, this being the third of this picture of the beauty of the resurrection and what it means for us and what the outcome of that is. And Paul's been building this argument and he gets to the end and he basically talks trash to death. And he says, oh, death, where is your victory and where is your sting? And you get this picture. And so he gets to the end. But we've got to understand the fullness of this chapter to get why he says that, because when you hear that, if you just pull that verse out of context and you say that, you can say, well, isn't that a little bit? premature, right? We're we're talking trash to death, but at the same time, I would say every single person here has been touched at one way or another in your life and the death of a a loved one or or in some way that's come to bear on your life and and people are still dying and there's still death in the world and this is still happening. And so you could say, well, that's a little bit premature for him to say that, especially in the world we live in and the things that we see each day and the way He says that. And so what you have here at the end of this chapter is Paul's really quoting what Chris read at the beginning from Isaiah chapter 25 about how God will bring all things to consummation and he will put an end to death. Finally and fully and completely. And so what I want us to think about today with this, this topic and the resurrection and what we're looking at is kind of two ways of seeing this. One is there's a part of the resurrection that has already taken place and it's already. Jesus is raised from the dead and he's defeated sin and death. And yes, that's done. But then there's part that we'd say is not yet. And oftentimes we talk that way of where we are in the church and in history, the already and the not yet. And so, what I want us to think about today is that that picture of of kind of both the the already and that Christ has won, but then the not yet that we're still in these physical bodies that are wearing down and are are heading towards uh, physical death, and they're they're running out. And and in in our world, we see the same thing. We've talked about that a little bit. Uh, Last week. And so I want us to think about those two together and how they go together. And so that's that's kind of where we're heading today. And so there's this picture of us as people that we're we're starting to perish. Right. We're perishing. He talks about uh, the perishable will inherit the imperishable. But the, the connotation is we are perishing now physically in a physical way. And so. I don't know exactly what point that is, that that hits because you're born and you're growing and you're getting stronger and you see, uh, teenagers and in your twenties and you're getting stronger and faster if you're an athlete or whatever and those things. But then at some point that peaks and then it starts to go down. And I don't know exactly when that is. I think it's somewhere before 36, because when I go play basketball, uh, I get home and my body's saying you're on the downslope now, you're not still going up. And so I don't know exactly where that is. But for all of us, we know that in our lives, just the aging process. And you start to see that. And so this is the way I want us to go at it and think about it today. Is first is how are we currently right? What, how are we right now? The already what do we know for where we are right now? Secondly, what Paul says about how we will be. The not yet, what's still to come. And then lastly, how are we to live in the meantime? Because we're in a unique position in this in between the already and the not yet. We haven't had the fullness of Christ and and in his return, but we've had the already and that he's defeated sin and death. And so we live in this in between. And so that's what I want us to look at. So let's just start with how are we currently? You know, last week, if you were here, we talked about I really spent a lot of time kind of building on verse 17 of this chapter where where Paul says that uh, if Christ has not been raised, then we're still in our sins. And we talked about the, the vastness of sin and what that means for us and and thinking about how full and how big the effects of sin are on everything in our relationships, us personally, between us and God, our world creation, all of that. And what we were saying is, is we kind of got to this picture. And so this is I want to connect back a little bit to where we were last week. In this, when I ask the question of how are we currently, there's two ways to look at it. You've either put your faith in Christ or you have not. And if you have not, then you would still fall under what we were talking about last week, that you're still in your sins. Right. The Bible's very clear that the only way to deal with our sins is what Jesus has done for us. And so if we say that you really think about it, you, you're, you're either for Jesus, you're either completely with him or you're not. There's really no in between. Either Jesus is God and he's who he says he is or he's just a guy. And if you think he's just a guy, then you're calling him a liar and you're not really with him. And so I want us to think about it on both sides of this. So first, who are we currently if we haven't put our faith in Christ? And I'll take you right back to what we talked about last week. And that was Romans eight verses seven and eight. And it says this for the mind that is set on the flesh. Is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. And indeed, it cannot. Those are in the flesh cannot please God. And so there's a picture that's very clear in scripture of who are we currently is if we are not putting our faith in Jesus, then we are hostile to God. <laughs> And the reason is pretty straightforward in Scripture. And I'll be real frank for just a second. It's either you're trusting in Christ for your righteousness, that is your right standing with God, or you're trusting in yourself and there's no in between. And so the Bible says if you're trusting in yourself, you have not lived up to God's perfect law and you are hostile to God, God's perfect wrath. Actually, uh, John 3 says it this way, the father loves the son and gives all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Right. And so if we try to get our right standing before God by what we do, what the Bible teaches is God's wrath rests on us because we're not perfect. And God is. And that's what he requires. And so the only way to get around that is through what Jesus has done for us. That is the heart of the gospel. We say this every week. But the good news is this. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are forgiven completely and totally. And that's what it takes is what Christ does. And so the first part is, if we are not trusting in Christ, God wrath remains on us. And that's where we are currently. That's that's it. That's that's the picture. But what about if you've put your faith in Christ? What is the picture that then comes right now? The already for those that are in Christ. And the picture is this, that the moment you put your faith in Jesus, he takes your sin. He gives you his righteousness and you are perfectly made clean and righteous in every way in God's sight. Positionally with God, you are perfect. In Isaiah, it talks about although you were uh, scarlet and and red because of your sin, you've been made and washed clean and you're white as snow. That picture that's there in Isaiah one. The second you put your faith, he removes all of that and he gives it to you. And so when we talk about the already because of what Christ has done, and this is where we were last week, the importance of the resurrection means that God has accepted Jesus's sacrifice. And so now you can walk straight into God completely clean, completely loved, completely forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And the proof is the resurrection. And so that's that's the already of where we are. But then there's a part of us in our life when we put our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in. That's what it teaches in the Bible. You put your faith in Christ. God's very spirit comes and lives inside of you and begins to do this work in you. Uh, First, Peter talks about the imperishable seed is now in you, that the, the eternal has come and taken residence in your body and you're restored with God. But there's still this part that's the not yet. Right. Even though in the, we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ, and even though we are perfect in God's sight, there's a war that goes in on in us. Right. And, and even though we're forgiven, we're still in this fallen, sinful, broken world. We're still in these bodies that are perishing. Right? They're still winding down. There's still aches and pains and our bodies are still struggling, even though spiritually we're restored to God. We still got this battle going on. You see it so uh, clearly in Romans seven, the way Paul talks. And he says he says this in Romans seven, he says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And so Paul says, even though I'm saved and even though I'm striving and seeking God, there's still this evil that's always right there. And it's it's a drawing and he says, for I delight in the law of God and in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my member and the members. And then he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right. Who will deliver me from this battle that is ongoing? And even though I have the marks of the creator in me and even though I'm completely forgiven, there's still the struggle. There's still this flesh. There's still my old sinful ways. That's why you see all throughout scripture, the language that's used to encourage us and to tell us, for example, in in first Peter one, it says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Right. And so what he says is, yes, you are saved and yes, you've been forgiven. And yes, God sees you completely and totally. But there's still these things that are pressing in on you and trying to pull you away. And he says, so so prepare your mind for action. There's a war that's going on. There's the already. Yes, you are forgiven. But there's this not yet part where there's still sin in the world. And there's still these things attacking and coming at you. You know, Peter will say just a little bit later in chapter two, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And he says, don't give in to those things. You're a new creation and God's working in you and you don't go back to that. And you see that language all throughout scripture and you keep seeing it over and over. You even see it here in First Corinthians 15 when Paul's talking about where we are now and what we will be in the resurrection, right? You see the language he uses, like look at verse 42. So it it, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised is imperishable, right? And so the sown what now is perishable will be raised imperishable. So the connotation, though, is now we're still perishable. We still have these bodies of flesh or or verse 43. What is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. What is sown in weakness will be raised in power. What is sown in natural body, it will be raised a spiritual body. And so he's making a comparison of the now, but what's to come. And you see when you, you start to read the way he's describing what's now, that there's still this this perishing and there's still these hardships and there's still these things and there's still this battle going on. And so even though we've already received the first fruits and the Holy Spirit, and even though we're forgiven, we still have this time where it's the not yet there's still parts that haven't come in its full consummation. And so you have this picture of still perishing. You know, when I think of of perishing, I often think of fruit, right? You, you pick a piece of fruit and maybe it's not quite ripe yet and you leave it sitting there and it ripens and then it's just right. But then there's some point where it then turns, right? And it's it like you'll have a banana that's almost right. And then you go out of town for the weekend and then you come back and it's black and it's shriveling and it's got spots on it and it's gotten soft and And smaller, and it actually sounds like us when we're perishing softer and smaller and spots and, you know, all the things that go with it. And so it's like it's the same picture, right? That's that's what happens is there's this point where it begins to perish. And so we're being renewed inwardly in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. But outwardly, there's still this this body of flesh that's there. And so there's these things that are that are going on. There's a there's a spiritual battle as well. Paul says here that the things that are sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. And we think about what dishonor means. Dishonor is is not honoring God. It's ignoring God. We say that often sin is ignoring God in the world he created. And so we dishonor God by ignoring him. And so that's where we are now. Even in this battle, there's times when we ignore God. And we fall back into a pattern of sin and and, and, and thankfully the battle is this, that it is a spiritual battle. But since God has given us His Holy Spirit, he comes and takes up residence and we stumble and we make a mistake. And the Holy Spirit is right there to convict us of sin, to show us where we've messed up. But then immediately he's saying, and Jesus has paid for it for you. And so he's always graciously, mercifully working and telling us and showing us and working in that and convicting us and pointing us back. And so we still have struggles and we still have this body that's that's wearing down and all the things we see in our world that go with it. And yet here's Paul saying, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? And he's talking trash to death and he's saying it. And and when you just read the first part of this and you get the first part and then you hear, Paul and his best Barclay talking trash to death. And then you go, that doesn't seem to add up because there's so many things that are still going on. But then you have to read the rest about what is to come. The reason that Paul can talk the trash and he can say that and he can point back to Isaiah and he can bring these things together is because of this whole argument he has been making about what the resurrection means. Right. Because of the hope that is within him. We often talk about hope. In the Bible, and we say that we have this hope and the eternal hope and we we use that language a lot. And a lot of times we filter it through the way we think today and we think of hope as I hope that works out. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about hope. Hope is a confident expectation of what is to come. And the reason that we have confidence and the reason that Paul can talk trash and he can say that and he can point ahead is because of what Jesus has already done in the resurrection. That is the proof of what he's going to do. He's already defeated death. He already points us to the not yet. And it brings those two together. And so look at what he says in verses 51 or 50 to 52. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And so you have this picture that the inward reality that we're seated with Christ that we've been forgiven is going to become an external outward reality in all ways. And what Paul's talking about is Jesus is coming back again. And when he does, this is what happens. And, and the reason he can speak so confidently and be so excited about it and talk about it as it's already happened is in some ways it's already happened. Right? When Christ was raised from the dead, he showed us that he's defeated death and sin and he's proven it. And so this is a certainty because of the resurrection and we can have a, a, a true biblical hope in what is to come. And that's what Paul's talking about and pointing to. And so this beautiful passage is so wonderful because he starts to show us and kind of peel back what it's going to look like when this happens. Look again at verse 42 before it's trying to point to what we are now, but look at what he says you're going to become. What is perishable, what it will be raised imperishable. or 43. What is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. What is sown in weakness will be raised in power. What is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And so he starts to show us this language of, of how Christ is going to return and he's going to remake all of it. He's coming to reclaim all of his creation. He's coming to take the already and make it a completely, uh, fully done The consummation of all things. And he starts to show us what that looks like. Just think about the things he said here, right? He's going to he's basically what God is talking about or what Paul's showing us through the inspiring Paul's writing and showing us is that when Christ returns, he's going to remake all things. He's coming to reclaim his good creation in all ways. And when he does that, he says, you're going to need a new body to be able to fit into this new world, which is pretty exciting when you think about it. You can't come into this new creation and how it's all going to be. And as wonderful it is with your perishing, old, broken down body, you're going to get a new one. And so he starts to show us these things. And so what we're getting is, is the revealing of what Christ has already done fully in all things. Right. Paul will say it this way in Philippians three. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Right. Christ has already proven that he's defeated death and sin. And then he's going to come back with that power and remake all things. And so you get this picture. Just look at the things that Paul says. Verse 44, he says the natural body will become a spiritual body. And what happens a lot of times is we miss fully what the scripture is talking about in the picture that is laid out throughout the Bible, because our theology sometimes is based on Hollywood, right? We think of somebody dying and the spirit floating off and the body's no more. And that's the end of it. And then we're going to float up into the sky and be in the clouds, disembodied souls floating along. That's not what the Bible talks about, right? If we get that theology from from uh, Hollywood, instead of what scripture says, that's what we end up with. But the picture here is far greater than that. What Paul's talking about when he talks about natural and spiritual, that's a hard uh, interpretation. It's a hard uh a way to see exactly what's behind these words in the original language and what we're getting at. But really, the picture is natural in that right now we're being uh, driven and, and, and I'm moving and I have life because my heart is pumping and there's blood going through my veins and my lungs are bringing in air. And, and that's what's animating me and moving me natural in that sense. God set us up and we go and then we're now kind of winding down. But that's the picture of us. But then when he returns, instead of being powered by natural things, we're going to be powered by spiritual. That is God's spirit completely and fully. And so it doesn't mean we'll get rid of all uh, sense of a body or being able to touch or feel or any of those things. That's not true. And we see that in Jesus's resurrection, right? Christ comes back to life and he shows up and he's telling them, touch me. One of the first things he asks is, do you have something to eat? Right. And so you see this picture of a glorified body in Christ, and it's not just a disembodied soul And the picture that, that scripture paints is is that Christ is going to re- come, come to reclaim all of creation. And that includes us. And now it's going to be this new thing so far beyond anything we can imagine. But the point is, it's not going to be perishable. It's going to be imperishable. It's not going to just be merely mortal or merely natural or all the things he says, but it's going to be the fullness of this glorious body. No more aches and pains, no more winding down, no more. All those things that we deal with on a daily basis. Now it's going to be remade. And the picture is we're going to have to have these remade bodies to fit into his remade creation. You know, there's a passage that I, I love in Matthew chapter 19. And it's Jesus talking to the disciples and Peter asks I think it's in verse twenty seven. He asked God and he says uh, he asked Jesus and he says to him, uh, we've left everything to follow you. What's it going to be like in your kingdom? Right. What are we going to get? That's what Peter's really saying. It's kind of like how are we going to get the you know, what are we going to get to do and how much. Are... And again, he's thinking in earthly terms and we're going to get to rule with him and those things. And so Jesus says uh, in the new world, when the son of man uh, sits on his glorious throne. And then he goes on to tell them, you're going to rule with me and you're going to have jobs and you're going to do things. And he says, and all those that have left to follow me, it'll, they'll get back a hundred times. It'll be so much greater than anything you can imagine. But what's tucked away in there that we miss sometimes is the first thing Jesus says in that. He says in the new world, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, that what he says there in the new world was a very specific word and a very specific thing that he said that his audience would have known. And what he says is in the regeneration, when all things are remade, Regenesis is really what he says. When this creation, when my world is completely remade in perfect harmony and the way it's supposed to be, then I will sit on my glorious throne and you are going to have far beyond anything you can imagine. And so when that happens, we're going to have these new glorified bodies to fit his new glorified creation. And so it's all going to be perfect as it was it was it was originally meant to be that we rebelled. And so he's going to glorify us and make us into that. And so we're going to have these new bodies and in a new world. You know, last week we talked about the effects of sin on us personally, our relationships spiritually. We talked about them on a body and and then on all of creation and the way creation is groaning. All those things are going to be undone. The body part, our physical part, the universal part. But most importantly, in the middle of all that is, as you see where Paul says that, that what is now, uh, let me see if I can find it here. When verse 43, what is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. Right. The, The spiritual part. Right. Right now, we're talking about how the already. Yes, we are forgiven. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. He convicts us. He reminds us he's bringing us closer to him. But we still struggle. Right. We, we still have mistakes and we still have guilt and we have, still have doubts and we still have fears and frustration and all those things. But when Christ returns, all of that gets remade. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. Glory means reflecting back God. And when he returns, you're going to reflect him back fully and completely. And there will be no more fear and no more crying and no more death and no more <laughs> insecurity or sin or struggling because he's going to redo it all and you're going to need a body that reflects what he's doing and you're going to need a body to fit into his new creation and the way that looks i want you just to think about whatever it is right now the, the thing that weighs on your heart and mind the most in your life right now and you know whatever that is Maybe it's physical suffering. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's somebody who's really struggling. And then imagine when Christ returns, it's all gone. And it is all set right once and for all, completely and totally. And that's the picture that's here. And so when you get that picture and then you get to verse 55 and Paul says, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Suddenly it makes sense. You know, there's nothing there's nothing you can do. And Paul is so sure because of this whole check because of the resurrection, because Jesus has already defeated it. And all right, although there's part that's not quite yet that he's going to come and do the already. We have the hope because of what he's already done. And so the already and not yet. And so just real briefly, real, real quickly as we end, just one last part. I love this passage and what Paul says and the picture it paints for us. But I also love as a preacher teacher, when I get to stand up and do this, that he applies it for us. That's always so nice when it's just real clear right there. And he says and he does that at the end. He points this whole picture. Christ is going to return and we are going to be raised and death is going to be ended and all these things. And then he says this, therefore, in verse 58, beloved brothers, be steadfast. Um, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so what he says is uh, Christ is coming and he's going to remake all of it. And there's this continuity between his creation and his his good creation and how he's going to remake it. And there's continuity between you and the body that you're then going to have and all these things. And then he says, so therefore get to work. Go proclaim what Christ has done and what he's going to do because none of it will be in vain. Everything good that you do pointing to Jesus now is going to be swept up in his work and none of it will be lost. It'll all find its full consummation when Christ returns. And so he says, so go do it. And it should give us uh, just an excitement about going forth, knowing that everything we do pointing to Jesus will not be wasted. That should fuel us to be so excited to go out and to spread the news, the glorious news of who God is and what he's done in Jesus, knowing that none of it will be in vain. And so when we think about that, just a couple things, one that should give us a great humility. Right? When we talked about at the beginning that all that we are and all that we have and all that there is is through what Christ has done for us and nothing else. And so it should free you to go out and be bold, but to do it with a great humility, knowing it's not my righteousness. It's not anything I've done. It's all Jesus and nothing else. And so it should make us very humble people in the way we we react. But it also should make us extremely joyful people. We know the end. We know what happens. We know the full picture. And so even in the hardest of times and in frustrations and when we hit those lows and those highs, we know how it ends up. And we know because of the resurrection that Jesus has done it and he's completed it. And he says, I'm going to make all things new and all things perfect. And you don't have anything to worry about. You trust me. And I've proven that you can trust me because of what he did on the cross and then in his resurrection. And so it should give us this this uh, just incredible joy and freedom to go forth and proclaim knowing how it all ends. Right. You think about that. If you're you're playing in a in a sports and I, and I go back to that dream team analogy. They knew they were going to win, right? That's how Charles Barkley went. I don't know who we were playing, but guess what? We're going to win. It's the same thing, right? It's the same thing. Time's infinite, right? That God's already done it. He's already won. And so he says, go, go tell and love people and be freed to do that because, you know, the end and what's to come. And so just what a privilege we have that we live in this little bit of time when the already has happened and we've seen what Christ has done and we're, we're before for just a, a breath. James says just a moment in time you have to live in this already, but not yet. And so don't waste it. Use this time to joyfully go forth and proclaim who God is and what he's done in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the beauty Of the picture of the hope that we have that is to come, I thank you for your word that you give us this, that you don't leave us without it, but you show us exactly uh, what is to come. I thank you that you've you've proven in the way that you love us and the way that you've forgiven us through what Jesus has done for us and that that are the hope of our salvation, the hope of your regeneration of all things is not in our works or in our doing, but in what you've already done. And we can be secure in that. I pray that you would impress that upon our hearts, that each day that we would just wake up afresh and relish in the fact of what you've already done and what that means for our future. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.